Today on Radical Personal Finance, I bring you a story. This is an interview with Mike and Lauren, YouTube personalities and personal finance experts from MikeandLauren.com. They have a very cool story and it's worth your attention because they are cutting loose from the workforce at the age of 30 without ever really making a ton of money. They didn't make a big business and sell it. They never made hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, just a normal couple who have followed their plan and are retiring at the age of 30. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. Thank you for being with me today. This is a fun one. This is an inspirational and an educational version of the show. Mike and Lauren do a really, really great job of sharing some of their ideas and some of their content on their YouTube channel, and I was able to connect with them at FinCon 2015, get a few more details, which I can now bring to you. One of the things I do want to do is provide you with other ideas and opportunities. And because, so I've got this weird idea that the world is a big place and that the pie is as big as we make it. And there's not really any competition. And sometimes different people from uh, resonate with different formats. So, for example, those of you who listen to this show consistently, you guys resonate with a podcast format. There are people who just flat out do not are not going to take the time to sit and listen to a long-format podcast. Uh, but they might listen to a short clip of a podcast. So there are podcasts that I think could do a good job there. Some people don't want to listen to audio. They just want to read because that's a much more efficient use of their time. Uh, so there are great blogs. There are great books. Uh, some people like YouTube videos. And there's a real dearth of content online in the personal finance YouTube space. Hint, hint, hint. This is an opportunity for some of you who might be able to produce interesting and useful content there. I very much see the opportunity. I very much personally would like to uh, capitalize on the opportunity, but it is beyond my core skill set, and I've tried to figure out how do I do this uh, because I see the opportunity, uh, and it's out there. So uh, Mike and Lauren, however, are one of the people who are involved in the YouTube space and who are doing a good job of integrating the principles of personal finance, the principles of early retirement, the uh, approach, and also doing it and sharing it with other people. And they have a very cool story. Now, this interview was recorded in, what was it, August? So a few months ago now at FinCon 2015. Uh, but since that time, there's actually been some exciting changes in their life, which I will announce at the end of the interview. It's worth staying tuned for some of the details uh, that they have to share with us. Uh, and a uh, quick update since the time of recording. Before I play the interview for you, two sponsors for today's show. Uh, I want to share with you some information about them. Sponsor number one is Jay Fleischman, host of the Student Loan Show. Uh, Jay's a really great guy. He is a student loan attorney and a bankruptcy attorney, and he is an expert at how you can pay less money on your student loans. That's kind of a big deal because anywhere we can cut expenses is important, and Jay will help you pay less money on your student loans. Now, the coolest thing for you, the listening audience, is he offers a consulting package where he will share with you and do a, do a review of your student loans for you. Uh, to find out details on that, please go to studentloanshow.com slash radical. If you have student loans, I strongly recommend – that you check this out, studentloanshow.com slash radical. If you are in any kind of adversarial relationship with regard to student loans, you're in default, you're behind, you missed payments, you're fighting with uh, the student loan company, call Jay, especially then. Uh, and instead of being able to save you bucks, he might be able to save you big bucks. He's a real expert in that space. And subscribe to Jay's show, The Student Loan Show, in iTunes. Sponsor of the day number two is Paladin Registry. Paladin is our – what was the first sponsor that I launched with? And it was the most requested – Sponsoring the most requested space of how do I go about finding a financial advisor? Paladin is an excellent service where they go through and they vet financial advisors before the fact and present you with a customized tailored list so that you can reach out to a financial advisor, interview them to see if they will be able to serve you and be and work with you uh, and give you some really great options that are pre-vetted for you. For details on that program, go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Paladin, RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Paladin. 
And now, here is the interview with Mike and Lauren. Mike and Lauren, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. Thank you Thank for you. having us. We're excited to be here. <laughs> so we're going to talk today about financial independence and a little bit about your story. Uh, you guys are awesome YouTube uh, creators, and there's not many people in the YouTube financial independence space, right? There is not. No, there's uh, five or six of us. Do you know anyone else who's actually doing it? Like, who are some of the other channels that, that are actually talking about the subject? Yes, there's Letitia Styles at Young Finances. Um, What's your name? Uh, Lauren Bowling. Okay, yeah. Lauren, uh, LB in the money tree. Um, There's two or three others. I'm trying to think. Not off the top of my head. I can't think of any. But yes, there are quite a few. Awesome. So let's talk with your story surrounding financial independence. Uh, When did you guys get turned on to this idea of saving your way to financial freedom? This was all Mike. Yeah, so uh, it started when I was about 17 or 18. Um, I was listening in the car with my dad to a uh, Dave Ramsey show, and he was giving this, or he's telling the story of you know the young investor who started at 19 and stopped at age 26, and the other investor started at 26, and for the rest of his life, uh, the younger investor ended up with more. So that magic of compound interest for me was really eye-opening, and that was not our eye-opener financial independence necessarily, but just personal finance in general. It's a whole new world to me. Uh, so I started reading every blog I could. You know, I found J.D. Roth back in the day, the, uh, Jacob at Early Retirement Extreme, and read up on that. And then it wasn't until a couple years ago that we really saw, you know, we had always saved about 50% of our income, just we're naturally frugal people. So that was just how it started. Um, and then we were looking at the numbers and we realized, hey, if we just bump up our savings rate just a little bit, we could have, you know, achieve financial independence at a very young age. And so we went for it. And that's where we're at now. You said, Lauren, you say it was all Mike. What was your philosophy around money? Well, now, it was all Mike because I never would have found it on my own. But I've known Mike. We we are high school sweethearts, so I've always kind of heard the ideas from him. So I learned these things sort of with him. And so I like to say that I was usually a few steps behind him, that I would eventually get on board, but he kind of had to give me some time to warm up to the idea. So, again, with the, we could do this in a few years, let's just save 75% of our income. And I thought, really? We're going to do that? And then, you know, after a few days, I thought, okay, let's try it, see what happens. What is the worst that we could do? Save some extra money and then say, eh, it's not really for us. Right, right. When, for you, Mike, mm-hmm. the most, when was your eyes open to financial independence? Though? Because there's a huge chasm between, oh, say, 15%, Dave Ramsey, right. say 15% of your income for retirement and then go on the, down the baby steps versus Jacob, early retirement extreme, save 75% of your income. How were your eyes opened? And it was Mr. Money Mustache that, okay. yeah, because Jacob, you know, living on $7,000 a year, I could honestly... Your wife loves to hear yeah, that she idea. Did not, right? Those were one of the ideas that, that was one of the ideas you couldn't warm up to because... I love the idea of living in RV. I love the idea uh, in my head. We've never actually done it. So who knows if I would actually love that. But So maybe she's balancing us out. Uh, but when Mr. Money Mustache showed his budget and he's not you know, living in you know, scarcity, that was really an eye-opener that he's living like we're living now. That's something we could do. Sounds like exactly like my relationship with my wife. I would be, I'm all over the $7,000 a year in an yep. RV, and yep. she, uh, she's a little more practical than right. that. So in between there, there's the you know, $25,000, $30,000 a year budget that's you know, a little more reasonable. So explain your current plan of financial independence and articulate the details for those who aren't familiar with the concept. Okay, so for us, financial independence, because that word financial independence is uh, pretty set in stone, but retirement kind of has, you know, a variable definition. Uh, For us, financial independence is when all of our basic living expenses are covered. And maybe not necessarily all the luxury we'd want in our life, but we have a roof over our head, food on the table, and, you know, doing the things that we want to do. And for us, that number is saving around $420,000. And with the 4% rule, that would give us around $17,000 a year, I think is $17,600 or something. And that is the budget that we set up. And so if we achieve that savings, then our basic living expenses would be covered. And then after that, any work that we take on, whether it be just for hobbies or, um, you know, just general just work, that would go to more luxury in our life. And so currently we are just about halfway to that point. Uh, So we started about a year and a half ago. We have a year and a half or two left. How old am I? 
I'm 28, 28. right? So we're three years. Oh, we're way ahead. Goal is 30. You're going to do it by 30? Uh, by my 31st birthday. So awesome. it'll be at 30, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So you you actually live on $17,000 a year now? That's so. No. Yes and no. <laughs> it's pretty close. We spend right now. Uh, for our core expenses, almost just about that. We're really spending more like twenty or twenty-five thousand, but we have uh, our YouTube channel that we're spending, you know, a few hundred dollars a month on. We're doing, right. we're, we're traveling a lot. We you know we're we're leaving for Norway as soon as we get back from FinCon. Awesome. Yeah. So the things that are important to us, we're still spending on, and but. We're, we're, Finding ways to make up that that extra money that we're spending. Uh, and you know, our YouTube selling, channel. Yes, YouTube is is eventually growing into that, and then we, you know, let's sell some stuff on Craigslist because we need to right, make right. up for this gap. And we got some sponsorships recently, so that's helping that also. So we're not just kind of waiting or pushing like there's the, a, back the timeline. There's a real tendency for me to want to stick to that real strict budget just for the people right. online. But I'm like, this is real life. Let's, you know, <laughs> if it if it happens, it happens. Like this is what we're going for but we're not going to we're going to Norway with eight of our friends so we're not going to like miss out on that trip just so for our readers it's like cut and dry line in the sand no more than $17,000 a year but how do you actually do that living in Florida because you don't live in Mississippi you live in Florida yeah that's a pretty hardcore, even $20,000 a year, are, are you, do you own the house and you're just saying, well, we don't pay any rent, so that's how we do it, like, like Money Mustache does? Well, we, uh, no, we actually love creative housing situations, and uh, for both transportation and housing, we've done really well creatively for our entire marriage, spending about half of the national average. For whatever reason, that's just what it's always ended up. When we were in New York City, we actually lived in New York City for three years. Wow. Yeah, and... So the average rent in our area was, I think it was $3,000 a month for, we were mid, uh, Midtown East, and just searching on Craigslist and uh, found a, a lady that was renting her studio apartment, so it was 296 square feet, so it wasn't right, right. anything huge, but we paid 1400 a month, so right. we were literally half half the average for that area, and we are happy with it, we loved it. It was, it, it was great, yeah. I really miss it a lot. We were in an excellent <laughs> area, and for our housing situation now, I actually uh, work something out with work, because I work for a church, and okay. so there's a a tiny house on the property. It's 600 square feet. And so that we have worked in at rent for 650, which in our area is about half of what national or half of the average rate for rents in our area. Um, and for transportation, we've always just ended up making money on cars because I love finding deals. Right. So I will find a good deal on a car um, and then we'll drive it for a little while and then sell it for either what we paid or sometimes a profit. Wow. Yeah. It, here's the comparison between New York City and Florida, though. Uh, my wife and I, when we married, for our first year, we lived in a 234-square-foot uh, studio apartment. So we beat Excellent. you. You guys are <laughs> wasteful spendthrifts. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you paying for the extra yeah. 30 I had a closet. We shouldn't have gone for the closet. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, and a little studio in downtown West Palm Beach, and we paid $500 a month for that. So 500 versus 1400 is a good comparison in New York City. But that is, for two people in, in New York City rent, that's the way to do it. Right. Right. How do you find deals like that? Craigslist. Honestly, I'd love to say it was uh, it would be something you know more you know creative than that, but it's just about when we want something, uh, we start looking at Craigslist and we're refreshing every 15 minutes to an hour. And we, when I know we wanted a Prius as our car, uh, I set up notifications and you have to be the first person to call and you have to go immediately. No matter what you're doing during the day, you have to drop it. And there's the same thing with the apartment. Laura never saw it before we rented it. It went up. I called. We rented it. That was it. Wow. How do you set up notifications on Craigslist? Uh, we have an app. It's called Craigslist Pro or Craigslist Plus, and it'll send you text updates for your search queries or if something gets posted to a category. That's a useful tool because I've looked in the past to try to figure that out, and I haven't been able to find that. So Craigslist Pro. Okay, yeah, I'll exactly. I think I'll it's $2 in the app store. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do you actually do for work? Uh, I work for a church, uh, and so it's uh, kind of the Florida mega church style, and okay. so I do all the lighting, sound, and camera stuff. So I do production, and that's how we kind of got into the YouTube thing is I was familiar with cameras and things like that. I, I actually work for a jewelry store, um, which is what brought us to New York. I went to the Gemological Institute of America, so I am wow. a gemologist, which is kind of random. <laughs> and so I work for a really cool family-owned jewelry store at home. So the YouTube thing mm -hmm. is uh, a number one of the themes that I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. This seems to be, for those who watch YouTube, they're like the perfect thing. After all, all you need to do is just grab a camera, start filming your life, with your walking around with your selfie stick, right. toss it on the internet, <laughs> and you make millions of dollars, yeah. right? 
right after all Insta- the shaytards did it. So. Exactly. Instantly <laughs> famous. Yeah. What are the realities of building a business and earning money on a YouTube channel? The reality is it's a lot of work for not a lot of money. You make We, we currently spend uh, about 100 hours a month on our two videos per week that we put out. Um, and for advertising, uh, we make last, last month we made $400. So that works out to about half minimum wage. So you would definitely be better off delivering pizzas if you're getting into it for the money. However, once you have an audience built, then you can follow traditional blog uh, methods of of monetizing uh, with digital products and sponsorships. And we've actually just had recent success with sponsorships with two uh, national brands. And I think we can say Progressive Insurance and H&R Block. Uh, And they paid us to make content for their websites. So that was really cool because that was a win-win-win. Our our fans get extra content if they want it. Uh, The brand gets original content and we get paid. And for those, we were paid over $1,000 a video. So that's definitely something more lucrative. Once you're, once you have an audience to establish, this started as a hobby, though, right? You posted oh, yeah. videos of your honeymoon or yeah, backpacking back. trip, right? Yep. Yeah, and so it was just sort of a way for friends and family to follow our trip. It was there was no intention of ever promoting it or having more people watch it. It was just so that we could say, "Hey, we went to Europe, and this is what we did." Right, and the uh, crap. What was I going to say? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Started hobby. as a hobby. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> yes. So we love making videos. It's a hobby that we have. And we would definitely make YouTube videos, even if there was no money involved. Albeit, we would not be making two videos a week. That's a right, lot right. of work. But if you don't love it, I definitely wouldn't recommend getting into it. There's easier ways to do it. So with regard to your financial independence plan, mm-hmm. uh, when you reach that, so what percentage of your income do you save now? We shot. We shoot for seventy-five percent. Realistically, we're looking in the sixty-five to seventy percent. Okay. Yeah. And so you're targeting a couple, three more years. Do you have any idea of what you'll do at that point in time? That's the thing. We'll back get, to creative housing. Yes. Well, we get a lot of questions. Of, well, I don't want to retire early. I don't ever want to stop mm-hmm. working. And we don't want to stop working. We just want to pick and choose what we do and when we want to do it, so we can do the things that we love and when we want to. And one, our plan, right now at least, after we achieve financial independence, is to live on a sailboat and do some sailing around the world, which comes back to that creative housing. Uh, what are we going to do when we only have you know, $1,700 a month, or I'm sorry, $1,400, $1,500 a month coming in? That's a realistic budget for uh, sailing the world on a sailboat in a small space. If you talk to a financial advisor, any mainstream financial advisor, and also if, even if you start posting in some early retirement forum, and you tell them, all right, we're 30 years old and you're similar age, right, Lauren? I'm actually a year and a half younger. Okay, so a little younger. We're about 30. And our plan is to save $428,000. Yep. And we're going to live on under $2,000 a month for the rest of our life. The response will be, at the minimum, you're naive. Right. And at the more yep. normal, you're stupid. Yep. <laughs> what do you have to say to those critics? Well, what we have to say at first is that we don't plan on living on just $1,400 a month or less. Uh, we plan on pursuing our hobbies. So right now, I'm really into woodworking, uh, building things, making things. And we can't... And our YouTube channel is a hobby. And inevitably, we're going to be making a lot more money than just our you know, uh, financial independence budget from our hobbies. And if we're not, we'll have to go back to work. That's what I love to say to those criticisms is what's the worst case scenario? In your wildest dreams, our plan doesn't work out. What's the We go back to work like everybody else? Right, right. Like, so, and we have half a million dollars in the bank? How is that a bad worst case scenario? So my, I've always said this in the comments of our blog to that kind of criticism. If we're not millionaires by the time we're 40, then we did something wrong. Because we're going to be making money, and we're not going to need that $1,400 a month. That, that, and that's just going to compound and build on itself. And it, money's not going to be an issue. I don't know how to... There's just a gut feeling. I can tell, like, <laughs> right, right. It, it's not going to be a problem. Well, also, if you just consider, and I think Jacob Lundfisker, Early Retirement Extreme, always made this point very well, especially in his book, which has been a strong recommendation on this show. The, per, the type of person who's able to, number one, build financial independence for themselves, and number two, live a frugal lifestyle, is an extremely well-rounded person, where if you wanted to get a job, you're not 
you don't have a resume that simply says, oh, I did this one job in this one career. You have a resume that says I have skills in dozens of areas. And you can take your pick of the housing market. And with your many skills, you are much more resilient personally to be able to find all kinds of new ways of, uh, of earning money. Exactly. And much more adaptable to any situation. Uh, if we're having trouble finding work, we already have experience, you know, cutting back on our budget. So uh, exactly what you said. We're, we're building skills in retirement or in financial independence that if we should ha- have to go back to work, we're building those skills to go back to work. There's somebody who's close to me in my life, and this person has an amazing story where they spent years working as a truck driver, and uh, they got to their middle age, and as a truck driver, they didn't have much money working for a large beverage company, and, but they said, I'm done, I'm, and they quit. And they switched, and instead of working on truck driving, they started to build uh, a real estate business. So uh, they were very handy, he was very handy with his hands and was able to work and work on houses. Well, he didn't have much money, but he bootstrapped his way into you know, the first couple of houses, buying them for cash, never borrowed money on these properties, but finding the cheap properties, fixing them up, flipped a couple here and there, and uh, fixed others up, kept some as rentals. Well, fast forward, they hit financial independence. Uh, well, number one, they were, in many ways, they were. he was job independent mm-hmm. for from the beginning because he just said that's it I'm done he filled in the income gaps with all of these crazy little things like making money on all these just weird things finding a lawnmower here and say, some guy hey I'll give you 20 bucks for it broken take it home fix it flip it on Craigslist during the grass season for $180 right. uh, you know you just make $100 here a couple hundred dollars there and it was due to his physical skills I mean it's like he makes money on everything mm-hmm. But he doesn't make a lot of money on anything. It's just a lot of little things with this diversity of skills. Fast forward, they're financially independent eight or nine years later with a a, a number less than 10, but more than five rental houses that provide for them. And he still makes money on everything, just flipping things. And it's something that I believe in what you do and what you you're, show. On- you're describing our plan for exactly. financial independence right now. <laughs> because on your show, you're demonstrating even you've got this like weird financial independence and DIY yeah, thing. Exactly. Right. And you're, you're, you're building a diversity of skills that are applicable to, number one, the needs of life. Hey, my wife needs a jewelry cabinet, so I'm going to make one. Mm-hmm. And also, those skills have value in the marketplace. I'm going to make some custom pieces and sell a few custom pieces here and there. Exactly. We built, uh, an, for a friend, we built an uh, Apple Watch charging station. Mm-hmm. And we were just flooded with emails asking for people to purchase them. And of course, we should build those and sell them. Right. Uh, that makes the most sense. But it's not what I want to do with my time right now. We're happy right. with making videos. So exactly as you said, uh, I don't know where the money's going to come from. But I know if we can cover our basic living expenses, the money's going to come for the luxury from other sources, just as you described. And if it doesn't, then our plan didn't work. I mean, at least we have food on our table and a shelter and a roof over. Exactly. How much do you think you could sell those watch uh, stands for if you were going to put them on Etsy or whatever? Uh, probably two or $300, I would think. That'd yeah. be my guess. And yeah. it, in my mind, this is one of the values. I encourage all of my listeners to start a blog, start a podcast, start a YouTube channel, do something to start to establish a presence. Yep. Because... If you are just a skillful woodworker making cool stands, but you don't have an outlet for that, no one's going to find that. On the other hand, I don't know if you're a skillful woodworker or you're a mediocre woodworker, (laughs) but if you're a woodworker and you have a platform, then you can make one watch stand as a project with a friend, and all of a sudden you've got a business. We've made made a video exactly about that, that with an audience... It's unfair, like, because we're trying to teach. Totally. We're trying to teach this financial independence, like, this is what we're doing. You could do it, too, except that a big part of our plan is we have an audience to utilize and kind of leverage. Anything we want to do in the future will inevitably make money with an audience. But you can, anybody can do this. Everybody exactly. can't do it with a big YouTube channel. But anybody can do it if they start to learn and understand a little bit of marketing ideas. One of the backup backup, backup, backup plans. I keep lists of things. Okay, Joshua, if you go broke and you got to start over again, what are you going to do? Or if this business fails, what do you do? So I, I keep lists of these things. But one of the simple ones that I have is, believe it or not, I would enjoy uh, raising chickens and selling uh, free-range pastured poultry. Mm-hmm. So I've talked to other people who have done this, and it's one of these silly little things where... You start very small, and you sell your birds before you even get them, simply through basically Facebook. And if you start little, and you start advertising to people, and you say, okay, I'm going to do 100 birds, and you go around all your friends, here's the plan, I'm going to do pastured poultry, you give them the price, blah, blah, blah. You can sell all your birds before you get them, 
based upon marketing through Facebook, mm -hmm. and then you sell them, you get referrals, more customers, and you build slowly. So anybody can do something exactly today. Right. Uh, the tools are so easy. Yeah. It's not necessarily YouTube. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, it's funny you say you know poultry because we have we had chickens ourselves. We actually just. Um, we had to give them to friends for we were having troubles with predators, but we want to start that up again. We want to have our own um, poultry and eggs and uh, right, right, yeah. So very funny you say that. You mentioned that specifically because we've thought about that. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And this is how society in many ways used to be, right? You, right. you, you would market to your friends and neighbors, mm -hmm. but in a local. Uh, place mm -hmm. with your sign, with your business. Everybody knew what little cottage business you had. Then we've gone into a system of employment where everybody just works at, okay, I do this job and I don't talk to people. But now there's almost a new phase. And as the job market continues to shrink, as companies continue to cut costs, many more people need something. And if you've got something built up that's a thousand bucks a month and you know I could scale this up, then in many ways you become or at least start to feel more confident. You either become invincible or you start to feel more confident because however much the church is paying you, mm -hmm. you can start making Apple watch stands yep. and sell them on Etsy and replace exactly. it in an instant if you wanted to. Exactly. And it's, it's something that I wish we could do a better job of explaining that to our audience because what you just put into words is what kind of our channel is about. Yeah, and you've got three minutes and 15 exactly. seconds. Exactly. We've got three got minutes and 15 seconds. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why our channel, we do not do a great job of building it as fast as possible because if, right. if we were going to build it as fast as possible, it wouldn't be named Mike and Lauren because what does that mean? It wouldn't be about finance, DIY, travel, and woodworking because you would pick one niche and stick with it. But the idea is that we're building all of these skills and any one outlet, just as you described, could at any point replace our income. So the next one, which when people say you're naive, uh, and I know you have some perspectives on it, so I'm interested yeah. in hearing, honestly, uh, kids. Yep. How do they impact financial independence? Well, that's actually interesting that you bring that up because I am pregnant right now. Congratulations. Um, so we have a boy that we're expecting in March. So we're Exciting. very excited about that. Um, and we've decided that I'm not going back to work after that. So that kind of should be interesting. Um, it's going to, yeah. So the, it's funny that just as, was it the same week or two days after we found out she was pregnant is when we started getting sponsorships for our channel. And it was kind of like, okay, this is a weird timing that, okay, this is going to be probably replacing her income. And if her being home, it's something she can do from home. Uh, we can replace her income, hopefully from our channel with digital products and sponsorships and that kind of thing. And now back to the, we're doing a bad job of building our channel. If we were just stuck to one thing, now it's going to be very baby related. So uh, we have a whole new section of our channel and a whole new audience that we'll Which hopefully people build. people are already saying how they're excited to see Baby on a budget videos, and then that, that will be for the people who are already subscribers and then bring in so many others. And how we're specifically uh, kind of going to combat that <laughs> that thing to our budget, the Baby, uh, it's, the, it's get being creative about everything. So our house right now is 600 square feet, but there's a laundry room in the back. So instead of moving to a bigger house, we're going to convert that room for around $500 or so just put up drywall and uh, and do that. And then, you know, the sailing thing, once we retire or financial independence is, is going to be a very similar, you know, budget. It's, our budget is not going to increase in the traditional ways. You know, the figure is $242,000, I think right, the average right. child is. <laughs> Seven, or 30% of that is housing. Well, we're very creative with our housing situation. 20% or 16% is transportation because everyone goes out and buys a new SUV. and right. So we just don't do that. And uh, based on people we've talked to, we're expecting it to add a few hundred dollars a month to our budget. We're not that naive to think that, oh, everything's going to stay the same. Uh, but it's we can apply everything we've done in our life up to this point to the baby and hopefully be creative with how we make money and how we save money. Just call my wife and talk to her. She is the wizard in oh, this yeah? area. I think for two kids, one two-year-old and one three-month-old, I think she's bought, I think, two outfits yep. total because they were things that she really loved and she wanted. To, she felt right. like she just wanted to buy an outfit. And, and that's what I've started reading is the asking for hand-me-downs because a lot of people think, oh, they're having a baby. They're going to want everything new. And, of course, that's not us in general. So I've already started asking, oh, you have something? Can I get this? And so it's so great. We've already... I've started storing things that we've received for free. So mm -hmm. I think one of the really secrets that she uses is uh, she, w number one, we never say no mm -hmm. to so when somebody gets to give something because then when, when people are picky, what happens is people often stop offering you stuff. Mm -hmm. If you say yes, but you clarify that, okay, if I don't want this, I'll go ahead and dispose of it and move it down the stream for you. 
then people are happy to give you things. And then once you get a reputation as a receiver, mm-hmm. then people are willing to give you things. So Interesting. The first, uh, when we bought our house, for the, uh, which is on the market right now, thinking just to make sure I'm right. We, the entire time we lived there, we didn't buy a single piece of furniture. The entire thing was furnished with free furniture. Now, it wouldn't have been on the cover of Better Homes and Gardens, and we had been planning to go ahead and, okay, we're going to go ahead and start buying some furniture. But we lived there for three years, over two years, three years, and uh, we didn't buy a stick of furniture. We haven't bought a single thing of baby clothes. We haven't bought a single... Um, we didn't ever bought the swing, never bought anything. Because when you bring in together, number one, the blessings of a baby shower mm-hmm. for those few things that are really nice that you need. Mm-hmm. And number two, everybody is trying to get rid of kid stuff. Right. Because in our society, there's such a waste stream of kid stuff. Mm. Any parent knows that their house is just bursting at the seams <laughs> and parents love it. And then the key is organization. So we have, you know, we have bins. She's got bins laid out, boys' clothes, you know, these months, girls' clothes, these months. And if you stay just a little bit ahead you got to be thinking ahead just like with everything in finance if you think just a little bit ahead you can be prepared so we're going to move up the up sizes put these this batch away and bring on the next one we can tell you how happy we are to hear that because we also just like we've never paid for a piece of furniture in our entire marriage and our plan is the same we don't plan on paying anything for for baby clothes just because as you said there's this endless stream of everybody wanting just to get rid of things, so right. why not take them? And so that was our plan, and it's nice to hear that that might actually yeah. work out. <laughs> yeah, I've done some shows on it, but even uh, we have most people are not interested in frugality, but mm-hmm. when people are, we have a few things like, for example, my wife is a genius at cloth diapers. Um, we are very interested in that. All right, so we'll uh, we can give you the speech off the air, but um, you know, something as simple as cloth diapers, you take uh, it does require an upfront right. cost. But even that, the average cloth diaper, believe, so here's something that I think the audience will also enjoy and also you'll personally enjoy. <laughs> when, have you researched the cloth diaper marketplace? Yes. Right. It is stunning. I never would have guessed that the used diaper marketplace, <laughs> and Lauren is shaking her head. This <laughs> yeah. is amazing, right? I know. It's, it's nuts, the used diaper marketplace. You never would have thought until you started looking into it. <laughs> and it's, a, it's one of the strongest secondary markets I've ever seen in my life. The, de- <laughs> the depreciation on cloth diapers is like 30%. It's amazing. It's nuts. Uh, so we started looking at this, and it blew my mind that, you know, here you have have, you know, cars depreciate just like that. Yep. And, you know, a couple years of use on a car and you're at 40% of its original value, it seems like, especially some cars. Cloth diapers, a couple years of putting baby poop in them every day. <laughs> and these things are still 70% of their value. Right. That's but, awesome. But uh, she, she learned things. Uh, so she bought uh, a couple and mm-hmm. some people gave them as gifts. But then she went out and she went on free cycle and asked for diapers. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the elastic uh, gets stretched out and they're bad. And so she would get all these diapers where the elastic was just stretched out, get some elastic and uh, replace the elastic. So her cost, she's got probably almost 100 diapers, I would guess, wow. uh, of different sizes. Her average cost, I made her keep track of it just so she could tell me it was like $3 and you know, 10 cents a diaper or something like wow. that. That's amazing. Which when you buy these things, 20 to $30 new, mm-hmm. you do that. but you take $3 and 10 cents a diaper, it makes all the difference in the world because you take away this 50 to $80 mm-hmm. you know, monthly expense that many parents face with disposable diapers and you replace it with the cost of water and the cost of detergent mm-hmm. plus that upfront cost. Mm-hmm. And then knowing they have a remainder value, you can take this cost that for many parents is, I mean, hundreds maybe over $1,000, and it turns in, if you resell them, uh, if you don't have more kids, you resell them, and it's amazing. So there's always a way, no matter what, but what happens is we're so trained as consumers to automatically think about, I need to go and buy that solution, mm-hmm. instead of looking for a creative solution. That, exactly. Uh, it's, it's, I'm curious, how did you guys uh, handle the birthing costs? Yeah, so we, uh, that depends at different times. We chose, uh, we chose, that was one area where we, we spent a lot of money. We chose uh, uh, to work with a midwife at mm-hmm. a birth center. Mm-hmm. And so those are covered under insurance based upon the costs of the deductible uh, mm-hmm. or whatever the insurance plan was. Uh, and so, you know, with the first baby, I always had a high deductible health plan. And that cost uh, $5,000 with our, with our son uh, because that was my deductible. So we paid 5000 bucks. And, and birthing centers are not cheap. Right. Uh, but that was one area where... Uh, I would personally, and I think most parents, <laughs> you're not going to go cheap on no. the cost of your baby's <laughs> no. birth. No. Like money is not the deciding factor. Right. The health and safety and happiness and experience of mom and baby is number one. But that doesn't mean that you can't plan carefully for mm-hmm. the cost right. and prepare. And so what we spent a lot of time doing 
was, uh, you know, it was working very hard to avoid the potential of having a C-section. Because there you go from essentially a $5,000 birthing cost to $35,000 birthing mm-hmm. cost under the U.S. medical system. Mm-hmm. So there were all kinds of things that we did systematically to prepare uh, for birth and to do everything we could to, to influence the possibility. Uh, there are medical emergencies, in which case you, right. you can't av- avoid them. And obviously that's where it's nice to have uh, health insurance uh, and plan ahead for that with a cover. But you can do all kinds of things to prepare for that, and, to, and that's, what, that's how we handled that. Something we're interested in and still need to do our research, so unfortunately we can't talk too much in depth about it, but is an overseas birth, both to kind of uh, shrink those costs a little bit, but also give our son the uh, gift of dual citizenship. Right. Particularly, I mean, we would love to have it. An uh, anchor baby? Yeah, an anchor baby. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we'd love to have it in the European Union, but that's really difficult to do. They're very strict about that. Uh, but um, So we were looking at that as possibly in the you know South America or something like that. I was just yeah. in, curious if you had any... No, 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 I don't have any insight on that. I know that Patrick Schulte from Bumfuzzle wrote about that on yeah. his because uh, they had come back from their uh, boating trip, yep. uh, and then they uh, were pregnant with their older daughter, and they went to Mexico, Mexico and they yeah. wound up uh, having a C-section delivery with both of their kids. But the total cost, just paying cash, was a few thousand dollars, if, as memory is right, three to four thousand dollars in Mexico. Yeah, so that could be something worth. Yeah. Worth considering. I want to talk practically for a couple minutes about your how you actually do YouTube mm-hmm. and how do you integrate frugality with YouTube? Are you guys frugal with everything else? But with YouTube, you go out and you buy the latest, greatest gear, and you've got thousands and thousands of dollars of gear. Is this your is this your we weakness? We do have thousands of dollars of gear, <laughs> but we uh, like everything. There's always deals to be had. Uh, the one thing that we did spend on was our camera, and that's the Canon 70D, mm-hmm. um, and it's a DSLR, and it's unique. To every other camera, particularly the DSLs, because of the autofocus. Uh, so doing travel and stuff like that, we, we really wanted that. Um, I would say we have around $4,000 in equipment, but it's not necessary. If it's, if it's something you're interested in, you the cell phone that you have takes 1080p, or 1080p uh, video, but the audio is not there. Uh, so we highly recommend doing some sort of external audio or even like a smart lav uh, microphone uh, to... Uh, make sure you get good audio. And as a podcaster, I'm sure you understand the importance of good audio. And we would say that on YouTube, good audio is even more important than quality video. Uh, we actually did a video comparison about that. But um, so you can do it really well for 1500 or less. You can do it pretty good for 500 or less. And then you can do it with the, the cell phone in your pocket if you're just getting started. And most people wouldn't know the difference, honestly. There's a YouTube video creators channel named, channel named DSLR Guide, and it's a young man in England, I believe. And what I admire about him is he demonstrates in his videos the impact of skill versus money. Yep. And he did a video demonstrating, uh, he did the whole thing shot on a cell phone camera, and he showed the impact of skill with lighting to mm-hmm. create good... Uh, you know, a good-looking product, sound, and, and all of that just with a cell phone camera. Yep. And watching that, somebody with the latest, greatest equipment but none of the skill could not duplicate that with a $70,000 camera. Mm-hmm. So as with many things, start with skill and practice right. skill first before buying exactly. gear. Yep. Yeah. I, we would definitely invest, before investing in a camera, we'd invest in a good microphone and good lighting. And honestly, if you don't even want to invest in lighting, daylight is a wonderful source right. of light for video. How do you do the editing process? Do both of you work on it? Yeah, we both work on it. Um, we use Adobe Premiere to do the editing, and usually what we'll do is um, I start on all the rough cuts and get it down to the three and a half minutes. Three and a <laughs> half to five minutes is what we aim for. And then Mike will come in after that and kind of bump everything down a little bit, add the music, and do some graphics for it. Have people hired you to do other video productions for them? Yeah, that's Other recently. than the sponsors? Other than the sponsors. Um... Actually, not really. Mike has done some at work, which is kind of how it started. But other than that, no. No, not really. So it, the reason I'm pointing this out is you know, the sponsor stories are cool. And you shared in your presentation here that, I mean, you made quite a bit of money uh, on those mm-hmm. deals, which is awesome. Uh, but, again, skills. So if somebody's trying to build a video business mm-hmm. as their sole source of income, that's a challenging business to start right. and to scale. It is. But if you're building a hobby, making YouTube videos, you may not ever get a million subscribers, but your friends and your acquaintances, and as you share them on Facebook, will say, oh, so-and-so does video, and they need some videos made for the company, and they'll say, can you do this? And $1,000 here, $2,000 there, revolutionizes the financial independence plan. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, if there's three areas... 
with the skills that we have now, we could absolutely get into doing you know custom promotional for uh, companies. We could do real estate is a huge thing. Uh, the multi-million dollar houses, particularly in Florida, uh, agents are looking for high quality video of that. And then the wedding business. If you tack the word wedding onto anything, it immediately becomes a three to five thousand dollar product. <laughs> uh, did you have an expensive wedding? Did you have a frugal wedding? We're pretty we, frugal. We were pretty frugal. My grandma did the cooking, and we're very lucky that the church that Mike works for and um, that we've—that's uh, how we met. We met at youth group at church, and so we've been there forever. It seats how many people? Uh, Twelve hundred. Yeah. And so we we didn't have to scale anything back, and where we had the reception was kind of open. So we had a really big wedding, but it wasn't that expensive. Um, you know how much we spent? I think it was right, under ten thousand, mm-hmm. wasn't it? It was. So it wasn't on the really frugal scale, but it wasn't twenty-eight thousand dollars either. Do your friends get you? Yes. Surprisingly, yes. Yeah. We're very lucky with the group of friends that we've had, but that we've we've grown up with. Mike and I have had the same friends for 15 years. And so sometimes they'll give us a hard time, and sometimes it's a Well, we're joke. always at the butt of a joke, but, <laughs> but they at least get it. Yeah. Have any of them started to follow your path? Uh, actually, we're seeing a lot of our younger friends very interested in what we're doing, which is really, really cool to see. Uh, just wanting to sit down and they want to set up their Vanguard accounts and get started. And so just being able to help them do that uh, has been really, really cool. Yeah. Tell me about, uh, and just a couple questions and then we'll wrap up here, but with the sailing, are you sure that you're going to like that? No. No. We could hate it. How do you intend to test that? Well, that's where we're very lucky being in Florida. We we live 10 minutes away from the, the water. And so we can kind of start it out by finding a good deal on a boat, going out, see if we like it there. And we can head down to the Caribbean if we feel comfortable at some point and kind of test the waters and see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. We actually own a sailboat, believe it or not. It's a 16-foot Hobie Cat that we've never taken out. Well, Mike <laughs> has once, but he hadn't taken any lessons, and it kind of pushed him back into the public beach. We ended beach. up he into the public beach at, at Siesta Key. <laughs> and my friend and I had to get out and walk it back down the beach, and the lifeguards were screaming at us on the megaphones, get off the beach. And, and so said, I don't know how to get off the <laughs> beach. I have no idea how. I and, told him we need lessons, yeah. and yeah. then we'll go from there. Right. So then that's an example of... Hobie cats can cost two or three thousand dollars. I happened to find find one that needed some repairs for eight hundred. And so, yes, we've never taken it out, but at any point we can sell it for a profit. And it's the same thing. If we get a boat, I plan on restoring it. And if we don't like it, we'll sell it for a profit. And that's kind of the theme of everything we do: is find a way to do what you love doing and not lose money or make money doing it. The final theme uh, that I wanted to just explore for you a moment is back to marriage and mm-hmm. then uh, the situation of one spouse. You know, starting to read Mr. Money Mustache or Early Retirement Extreme and getting all just fired up about, look, there's all yep. these opportunities. <laughs> and the other spouse is caught in, you know, not caught, excuse me, is just simply in the normal lifestyle, not thinking about that. It's, not, it's, it's weird in our, in our culture. And so this can often bring a little bit of tension in relationships where you get all fired up, look, look, let's do this. And many couples struggle with that. Lauren, do you have any thoughts on things that Mike did well in talking with you or things that he did poorly or how uh, it often seems to be husbands uh, right. that, that do this, although I'm sure it's wives, how a husband can effectively communicate with a wife to share a vision? This is something that we've discussed a lot. We've actually talked about making a video or even a series about it, about how to get your spouse on board. And I just, I think he always gave me the opportunity to, like I said, I I often need to warm up to things and he never pushed me into it like, oh, we're starting this today. Or he would say, why don't you read some of these articles? Or even he'd point me towards Mrs. Money Mustache's post, Mm -hmm. which was nice to see the woman's perspective and see what she had to say. And so I think that he just let me warm up to the idea versus this is what we're doing and I've got it planned and you don't have a say. Do you have any comments, Mike? Yeah. Um, this is a really hard question to answer because you're talking about people who have had a relationship for could be 10, 20 years, and then someone has their financial awakening. Uh, and what if they don't ever get on board? What if they're never warming up to that idea? And I don't have a great answer to that. And we get a, a comment, comments on our videos all the time. Well, how do I find a woman who, because a lot of times they can tell that mm-hmm. I'm the one kind of <laughs> with right. the, leading the, uh, the discussion. And I... I would say show before you tell, and it would be the only advice that I would have, um, that if you're going to adopt a frugal lifestyle, adopt it for your own if, if the other partner's not on board, and then show them that you're still happy, you're still surviving, you're still you know thriving, 
uh, with that lifestyle, and then hopefully they warm up to it. And if they don't, I, I don't know if there's you know a relationship counseling at that point because money is a big part of relationship. You can't really avoid it. It's um, I wish I had like better news, like <laughs> some bubbly right. answer to like, oh, it's all bing, bang, boom, one, two, three, you do this, and then they're, everybody's happy. Uh, yeah, I would say show before you tell. Final words of advice. If somebody is listening and for the first time in their life they're saying, whoa, I never even knew that was possible, what advice would you give them to build a financial, to, to, to just start down this path? I would say... First, start reading, start doing research, and then just try it. Because again, what is the worst that can happen? You end up saving some money and you realize that that extreme way isn't quite for you. Why? Then you can scale things back a bit, but just do it. If you're considering it, why not try it? And I would say question everything. And that's uh, we have potentially one of the ebooks that we want to write is question everything you know about money because it seems like everything we're taught is almost completely backwards that yep. you car payments are a part of life well they're not you know a house is an investment sometimes not always uh you know you have to go out and buy the latest and greatest to be happy well that's not true and if you just at least allow yourself to question everything that you've been taught then you can form your own opinion about it and maybe go in a different direction. And if you form your own opinion and it's in line with society and the culture of today, then great. But at least give yourself a shot at a different way of looking at things. If you question it and think about it, you can often reframe the, the, the decision. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people look at making a certain decision, making a frugal decision as, well, that's worse than mm-hmm. the less frugal decision. But if you change your frame of reference a little bit, you know, my wife and I, we have a $5,000 minivan. I don't know what it's worth now. But to me, I don't want a new minivan because we love to go to the beach. We've got two big dogs and we've got Mm -hmm. two kids. And I love, I want a van that's filled with love Mm -hmm. and just joy. So when we go to the beach, I don't want to be saying, oh, wash your feet off. No, (laughs) dog, get down. It's like, no, I'd rather have fur all over the the car and just be dirty and salty and wet. And, okay, so the seat got wet. Big deal. I don't want to be fussing at my kids about the fact that that the seat got wet. To me, it's a benefit to have that versus, oh, my car is not the fanciest. That's funny that you bring that up because we we have our Prius and it it was dinged up when we got it and the interior was well-loved and (laughs) well-worn. And when we had goats, they decided that they wanted to start jumping on our Prius. <laughs> so you'd look out in the yard, and the goats would be on top of the car. But it was sort of a, well, that's fine. There's already dents in it. It's okay. Right. That's the big deal. That's awesome. And then also, when you create the joy, uh, my wife and I, the best date we ever had was actually Valentine's Day one day. And for whatever reason, I, I don't remember why I didn't want to spend much money, but I didn't. And... I think so. I called her and I was on my way back from something, and I said, "Okay, you, you know, get ready. We're gonna go out for we're gonna go out for a date." So she got dressed up for a Valentine's Day date, and I didn't have any reservations or anything. So I want I wanted to have a picnic. So she got dressed up, and we grabbed a couple of bicycles and tossed them in the car, and we went to the grocery store. And I think I gave us a limit of either ten or twenty dollars, and I said, "Here's our here's our budget for our date." And the whole fun was to go all around the store and try to figure out how could we get something fancy and fun mm-hmm. with this very small budget. Mm-hmm. And then we took it to the beach and we you know, put out a towel and just ate the, the food. That was the most memorable thing, far more memorable than the $250 fancy dinner where everyone else was out you know, right. at with the, the stuffed out restaurant. Yep. So the frugal decision wasn't, uh, wasn't giving up anything. It was actually better when you reframed the... That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. So, guys, keep doing what you're doing. I love that you're working on YouTube, and it's another medium to reach many people. And the you know some people, some weirdos might listen to my hour and a half shows, but many more people will listen to a three minute video, and that can pique their interest. So, tell everyone about your channel, website, all your properties, all the the, the things you have to offer. Yes, you can find us at mikeandlauren.com. Uh, if you want to go straight to YouTube, you can go mikeandlauren.tv. That'll go straight to our YouTube channel. Um, Mike and Lauren on Twitter, Mike and Lauren TV on Facebook. And I do want to say that if uh, any of your listeners are bloggers that are interested in getting in YouTube, involved in YouTube, please email us. We love helping. We want more finance 
financial information on YouTube because right now it is just a mess of scams and pyramid schemes. And you look up, you know, investing for beginners, and literally nine out of the top ten are all just selling some pyramid scheme product. And we want more content on YouTube that is financial related. So please email us, and we'll we'd love to help you out. So I'll, the email is yeah. hello at mikeandlauren.com. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and just record this and. Uh, I'll probably leave it in the interview for people to do. But, okay. but let's talk about me uh, okay. with Radical Personal Finance. Yeah. So I didn't, I don't, uh, and you can give me some advice as being down there uh, as far as what you would do. I've looked at, uh, I couldn't have done YouTube in the past. I don't have any experience with video, any necessarily skill. And I couldn't have compressed the ideas and thoughts that I have into a short, a, a short version. So I focused on audio, which was the, the missing piece that I saw in the marketplace, and that's how I built Radical Personal Finance. I feel at this point, though, that I could articulate my message and some thoughts and some ideas in a much shorter format, mm-hmm. and I'd like to start reaching some more people in the video space. But the challenge is I already have such a high workload with my show. I do the show five days a week. I also uh, am doing some writing. So writing a book, also writing uh, for other publications, and I also have a family, and I would like to do video as well. So the question I've faced is how do I do it? I also don't have any uh, computer equipment capable of editing video, and I have cameras, I have mics, I have all of that stuff, but I don't have the editing equipment. I'm curious, so I've I've thought about how could I go ahead and start this and should I do this, Uh, and my thought has been I could just shoot raw video, and through planning... uh, proper planning of the presentation using some interesting visual aids uh, with my actual presentation, just do kind of a one-shot thing, no no cuts, things like that. Do you think that's like, possible and that would save me from having to do all the editing time or would you say you got to hire an editor? Yeah, probably not. I would, I would definitely edit. We even go as far as to edit the breaths out of our videos. If we take a pause or if um, there's just an, even a space in between our words. We'll cut that out because people on YouTube just kind of expect it. Um, a, a lot of the videos you'll see from the top bloggers are just very fast-paced. Right. And there are financial videos on YouTube from, like, a lot of the big um, corporations have, like Bank of America, and uh, uh, have long-form financial videos, and they seem to do well. So I guess I can't say, you know, from experience that long-form one-take sh- one wouldn't work. Just in our experience, our own personal view time is three and a half minutes, no matter what length we make our video, uh, over time. So when we initially, our average retention rate is about 80% or higher per video to our initial subscribers. And then once it gets put in the suggestion engine and in search, people usually stick around for about three and a half minutes, and that's it. And um, that's been confirmed by a few different channels. So I I would say faster and, and hire the editor over trying to do it in one take. And that takes a little pressure off for you as well. Do you think it's, uh, is it the kind of thing that, is it even worth pursuing, given that it's not going to be my primary focus, but I see it as more, well, this is a way to develop another platform, another arm to it. Is it worth doing, or should I just stay exclusively focused on I think I YouTube is where, where we're going, honestly, and I, I thought this back in 2013, and I'm glad that we got involved when we did, uh, even though we were pretty late to the game. Most of the big channels now started around 2007, 2008. Um, I... Just that's where all our friends are going, I th- right. and and the younger generation below us, we're behind. That they watch more YouTube than we do. Um, I think it's really accessible to people. I like that there's a, a face behind the words, um, and I like the the informality of it. Uh, and podcasting is similar, but there you can be goofy on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would definitely recommend it. And maybe one way you could start would be just filming your your podcast and right. then doing clips from that if you did, if you wanted to do the one take with almost no effort that's what that's what Dave Ramsey does actually on his channel is right, he'll right. take a call and then you'll just put one call on his YouTube channel that'd be a great way to start test the test the waters yeah and see we'll see I had to solve the editing issue and my library has big fancy Macs that I could go and use yeah. uh, but at this point, I just really question, is this the best use of my time to learn how to edit, or do I just need to wait until I'm ready to go ahead and hire an editor yeah. uh, to do it? And I haven't answered that question. For me, and I don't... For me, it's all in the editing. Like, our personalities are 
come through through the editing process. Right, I agree. Because when we, if you were to watch our raw footage, it's 22 minutes long, and it's us going like this. Nope, mess up. It's us going. Nope, mess. It's us going like this, and then you see the it's us going like this part, back to back, cutting out our breath in between the next sentence. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our what you see on YouTube is from the editing process. So I don't think we would ever outsource. Maybe we would. I would, I would outsource the editing process. I don't know if I would necessarily start there, though, yeah. just so you can get an idea of what, it, of what it takes. And, yes, the initial learning curve is pretty steep. I'm not going to lie. You would have to put in some time to learning how to edit, but we can now edit a video in, you know, under an hour or so. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not too bad. Which it was a lot more than that All to right. begin with. Right. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question. Yeah. Um, do you have to get a Mac? We've all, we were Mac people, so uh, we're pretty biased. Although um, we have the at at work, we have the newest, fanciest Mac you can buy, the twelve core Mac Pro. Right. It still gets caught up in rendering. It can't. It's not. And I have seen um, Dave Dugdale at uh, Learning DSLR Video, or it's just Learning Video now. Mm-hmm. Is a big Windows guy. Uh, he's almost tempted me to make the switch over just to see what kind of performance is possible uh, because you have that customization that you can do. Right. Um, but as far as ease of use, if you have a Mac with Final Cut Pro, that's going to be your easiest transition into video, I think. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Now, since the interview was recorded, I told you I would give you an update. Mike and Lauren have released some new information on their YouTube channel that I think you would be interested in. Number one, as they mentioned in the interview, they are expecting a baby. Uh, Very interestingly, they are planning on having their baby out of the country in Costa Rica. This is a form of medical tourism, which will lower the costs of having the baby, but also give the baby some unique options. Go and check out their YouTube channel for information on that. Also, interestingly, having the baby seems to have served as a catalyst in their life. And instead of sitting around and waiting for you know all of their plan to come to fruition, they are actually using this as a, a time to change. And they're using the foundation that they've built with their YouTube channel to actually jump a bit early. And instead of working on their plan of saving up just a certain about dollar amount and then jumping, they've built enough of a platform with their YouTube audience that they are in the process process of selling many of their things. They're going to be moving to Costa Rica. They are buying a large motorhome. They'll be moving into that large motorhome, building a mobile wood shop to hook up and drag around the country behind that. And they're going to be going on the road, touring the country, filming videos, doing DIY projects with their audience while they travel the country, bringing that content to their YouTube audience, and then making money from their YouTube plans, which funds their life. And I think that is awesome. Once they announced that, I wrote uh, I wrote them an email and I said, by the way, guys, I'm so glad that you are jumping ship because what happens is there's this kind of purist mentality, this idea that, well, I've got to tell everyone that they should they can build financial independence just by working at their job and so therefore I can't quit. Hey, if you're in a position to quit and you've got a business that you can flip to, do that. That's going to be a, a tremendously valuable thing for you. And I encourage all of you in my listening audience – recognize what's going on and recognize the themes. Go and watch their videos and then, and then perhaps you'll be able to see these themes. But recognize the theme. The process is get control of finances, build assets. They're working towards that big lump sum number and along the way an opportunity comes along. And that opportunity in their case is to build a business doing something that they like to do and that gives them the mobile freedom and the lifestyle. Using the skills that they have developed, starting by doing them for free, the skills, the equipment while they built it up, and now it will be their full-time, uh, full-time deal. And they don't need millions of dollars to do it. They just need enough money to buy the RV, have enough money and savings to make the switch, and to get started. And that is the process of financial independence. So I hope that Mike and Lauren's story can be uh, encouraging, inspirational, and educational for you. I think they do a really great job, and I am thrilled uh, that I was able to bring them on the show. Go check out their YouTube uh, YouTube channel, MikeandLauren.com. We'll link you through to it, MikeandLauren.com. If you sign up on their email list, then they will uh, share with you all the details of their net worth and their spending and their income and all of that stuff as well. MikeandLauren.com is their, is their stuff. So thank you all so much for being with me on today's show. I hope that you have enjoyed it. A bunch of exciting shows in the work here for December. 
I've been working on some of the outlines for the scripting of, of, of just some of the content and ideas I want to bring you and um, going to be some good ones. So uh, I'm going to bring you a show on budgeting with I'm very excited about try to lay out the framework of budgeting uh, and how it's universally applicable to every area of your life. So check back for that uh, in the future. Uh, big thanks to those of you who support the show on Patreon. Uh, if you would like to support the show, go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron, RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. I will be making some adjustments to that uh, uh campaign here at the end of 2015 as well, but I would value your support and your financial uh, your financial support there. So thank you all so much. Thanks for listening. I am out of here for today publishing this show. It's early on Friday morning. I'm heading over to Tampa with my family. Got a business meeting over in Tampa uh, with somebody and then uh, also spending the weekend over there with friends. And in fact, I should shoot Mike and Laura a note and see... Let's see if they're and see if they're around. <laughs> One of the cool things about podcasting, get connected with people. So thank you for listening. I will be back with you soon. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.